0: hey y'all this is ron i am your host and bible teacher for this episode of starting with scripture correct healthy biblical doctrine starts with scripture correct church practices start with scripture moral and ethical behavior start with scripture this episode is entitled study in the bible king james versus other translations During my three-plus decades in the church, I've heard preachers and elders encourage the congregation to study the Bible and learn on their own, that is to say, learn individually. Sadly, I don't hear that message as often anymore. When church leaders and preachers have encouraged people to study the Bible, they rarely have taught people how to study the Bible. It's one thing to say, we ought to study it. Y'all ought to study it, but only on rare occasion have I heard any any sort of help or instruction or insight on how to study. This lesson is about something very basic to studying the Bible, and it's simply about choosing an English language Bible translation. Studying is very important. 2 Timothy 2.15 in the King James Version reads, Study to shew thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. This verse was originally written to Timothy, but it applies to us today, at least in principle it does. We need to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman, could be a woman too, who needs not be ashamed can rightly divide or handle the word of truth we can learn to rightly divide the word of truth this particular king james verse is a good place to start the uh, king james version has a special place in the history of english bibles and it is uh, still revered by many The truth of it, uh, however, is that people should feel free to use whatever translation they're most comfortable using, whatever translation suits them. Insisting on a specific translation, that is the King James Version, or nowadays sometimes people insist on the New King James Version, as a basis for fellowship, steps well beyond the bounds of scripture. Some congregations won't hire a minister or preacher unless that minister or preacher uses the King James only. This idea of King James only is rooted in tradition rather than fact. It's rooted in uh, good feelings about this translation, which started centuries ago but have continued. And it's also ignorant of the history of the Bible in English. Whatever your view about a particular translation or any topic for that matter it should be factually informed and not rooted in either tradition or ignorance or emotion. Many of us grew up on the King James. I I have a lot of respect for the King James and the role it's played in bringing the Bible into common English. I want to emphasize, however, that no translation is perfect. The King James wasn't perfect back when it was created, and the King James isn't perfect now. Neither is any other translation. Translating anything from one language to another is not a perfect science. Words and grammar from one language to the next do not align perfectly. God did not specifically inspire the King James Version or any other translation. Translation is unavoidable, however, unless everyone wants to learn Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, which are the original languages of the Bible. Without those gifted in the art and science of translating the Bible into English, or any language for that matter, we all would need competency in the original languages of Scripture in order to understand it. The Bible didn't fall from the sky in English it was translated. And I want to emphasize, it didn't fall from the sky in the King James Version either. Unless we understand and apply what the Bible says, it becomes a relic on a shelf, void of practical and spiritual value in our lives. And we cannot apply what we do not understand. So if it's not in a language that we understand we can't really apply it we can't read it we can't understand it god expects us to read and apply his word the art and science of biblical translation allow us to do just that as the ultimate author of scripture that is a divine author god inspired the biblical writers to convey his word through their words using their ancient tongues and cultures Dual authorship of Scripture exists, divine and human, with divine authorship in the lead. Twelve hundred years before the Authorized Version, or more commonly known as the King James Version, Jerome translated the Bible into what uh, became known as Vulgate Latin. At the time when English language translations began, Only wealthy people, scholars, and Roman Catholic priests understood Vulgate Latin, whereas the common people did not. The Roman Catholic Church at the time fiercely resisted translation of the Bible into the common language. Keeping the Bible in the Vulgate Latin gave the Roman Catholic Church a virtual monopoly on Christian religion in the area that it controlled. Roman Catholic clergy and Roman Catholic monarchs persecuted, imprisoned, and executed, that is, killed people for translating the Bible into common languages like English. They also persecuted, imprisoned, and killed or executed people for possessing or distributing these common language translations. I want to briefly go over the English Bible timeline. The Wycliffe Bible was translated from Latin in 1380 into the English of the time. English New Testament was translated by William Tyndale in 1526. He translated that from the Greek, which is the original language for the New Testament. The Coverdale Bible was translated in 1535, and four years later, there was a revision of the Tyndale called the Great Bible, G-R-E-A-T. The Geneva Bible came along in 1560, and the Geneva Bible is the Bible of Shakespeare, the Puritans, and the Pilgrims. So if the Bible's ever quoted in a Shakespearean play, they're quoting the Geneva Bible, or he quoted the Geneva Bible there. The Geneva Bible, not uh, too surprisingly, has Calvinistic marginal notes in it, which made it suitable for Puritans. In 1593, the Catholics decided that they needed to get into the act, so to speak, And the Do I Rhymes Bible, which is a Catholic English translation, was made. It was translated from Latin. And then in 1611, the King James Version was finished. Originally, the initial King James Version, or authorized version, included the Apocrypha. And I'll get more into that in a moment here. Well, the King James Version, or Authorized Version, was translated from the Greek and Hebrew, unlike the Do Rhyme's Catholic Bible, which was translated from Latin. Latin is not an original language for Scripture. A bit more on the Authorized Version of 1611. In 1604, King James I authorized a new English version, to be used in the churches of England. Leading university scholars at the time produced the authorized version of 1611, also known as the King James Version, so it took about seven years for them to do the work. It included the Apocrypha, as I mentioned a moment ago. Now the Apocrypha, for those of you that don't know, is a set of books in the Old Testament that are recognized as canonical or inspired by Catholic Church, but not recognized as canonical or inspired by Protestant churches. So the original King James Version had the same books in it as the Catholic Bible. Later they were deleted or excluded. The goal of the King James translators was to translate the original Greek and Hebrew text into the language of ordinary people with enough dignity for it to be used in church. The King James translation was scholarly, and it was scholarly enough for clergy and scholars at the time, while at the same time being understandable by the common people. So it rode that uh, that sort of center line between being scholarly and the common tongue. The pastoral motive for the King James Version was to make the Bible available to common people in their language without the need to learn the original languages or Latin. The preface in the original authorized version or King James Version 1611 reads as follows. Without a translation in the common language, most people are like the children of Jacob's well, which was deep. Without a bucket or something to draw water with, or like the person mentioned by Isaiah who was given a sealed book and told, please read this, and had to answer, I cannot because it is sealed. Because languages change over time, The King James Version itself needed to be revised. Semantic ranges expand and contract. Now, semantic range is a term used in uh, theology, um, Bible study, Bible scholarship, etc. I'm sure other uh, disciplines use it. But a semantic range merely means the... uh, list of definitions for a particular word or words. So the definitions for words, their meanings, the list of meanings for a particular word you might say expand and contract over time. New words enter the vocabulary, old words drop out, etc. So revisions of the original King James of 1611 or the authorized version of 1611 took place in 1629, 1638, 1729, 1762, and 1769. The 1769 edition is the one used today, not the original 1611 edition. Many people that are proponents of the King James-only approach or um, even the New King James But particularly the King James only approach, many people are unaware that the 1769 edition of the King James differs from the original in literally thousands of places. The King James translators worked from an inferior, by today's standards, Greek text constructed only from a few late manuscripts from the 10th to the 12th century AD these manuscripts were those that Erasmus used in 1516 to construct what will become the so-called textus receptus or received text this is the basis of the King James Version we have since found much older and much more accurate manuscripts dating To as early as 125 to 150 AD, which is much better than the 10th to 12th century AD that the King James translators had. I'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to some of my regular listeners. This uh, episode seems like uh, probably has too much scholarly information in it, particularly as it comes to manuscripts. But I want to say that it's, it's almost necessary, if not necessary, to talk about manuscripts to some extent, particularly the Textus Receptus when it comes to the King James. And I have indeed limited uh, the information that I'm giving out here. On manuscripts so it's not overly scholarly, it's just uh scholarly enough in this particular case. So the King James or the authorized version was translated from what became known as the Textus Receptus or the Received Text. Now the TR or the Textus Receptus is not the received text in the sense that it was uh received from God. Um as compared to other Greek manuscripts or anything like that. Rather, the received text in this sense means it was the standard one at the time. And in American English, we don't have um, much of a sense of what that means. In UK English, received means standard and it's more common in the UK and uh, spe- with speakers of UK English. Like, for example, let's say the received pronunciation. Um, say the received pronunciation of a London accent versus the posh one or versus the East Ender one. Um, the received pronunciation simply means the standard pronunciation. So the textus receptus in Greek translates to received text in English, which meant the standard text at time, nothing more, nothing less. People have overblown the significance of the textus receptus. It just means the standard text. The textual basis of the Textus Receptus is a small number of haphazardly collected and relatively late minuscule that is written in lowercase manuscripts. In about a dozen places, its reading is attested by no known Greek manuscript witness. That means that um, the Textus Receptus has a dozen places or so where There's writing there that can be found nowhere else, which makes it questionable. There are some obstacles for the King James Version today. It's uh, certainly earned its place in the history of the English Bible. In fact, the place of the King James Version in the history of the English Bibles is virtually unmatched, if not unmatched. It's usefulness in the 21st century faces uh, some practical obstacles, however. The first obstacle, as noted previously, is that the King James translators work from an inferior Greek text constructed from only a few late New Testament manuscripts. Since then, many, many thousands more manuscripts and manuscript fragments have been found. The most recent count that I have is over 6,500, so there's a much more comprehensive pool of data to reconstruct the original writing. The second obstacle, which may be rather obvious to anyone who's read it from this era, is the use of archaic English words and phrases. For example, aforetime, must needs, how be it. Holden, peradventure, where to, etc. These more often than not fail to communicate clearly to contemporary readers. A few examples here. Psalm 5, verse 6. Thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing. Psalm 29, verse 6. He maketh them also to skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syriam like a young unicorn. James five eleven, the Lord is very pitiful. James two three, and you have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing. 1 Samuel 5 12, and the men that died were smitten with the emrods. Second Corinthians 8:1. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia and finally Exodus 1918 and Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke the King James Version was a good English translation for its time when folks spoke Elizabethan English people don't speak Elizabethan English anymore According to some of my reading in history, uh, as late as the late 1800s up to maybe as late as 1900 in the Appalachian Mountains of the United States, people still spoke it, but no longer. Most of us would have trouble reading a page of the original 1611 version. I'm not talking about the 1769 one that's out there. I'm talking about the original 1611. To argue that we should still use the 1769 King James version, the one that's used today, is to actually admit the necessity of revising a translation. Because, as I mentioned earlier, that was one in the series, or the last in the series, of several revisions of the original 1611. So here's a question to ponder: Why not continue the process of revision by drawing on the latest in biblical scholarship? And using language that today's readers can understand. Anything less seems to violate the intent of those who translated the original King James Version. After all, the King James Version was essentially an update on prior versions. I have a final note, or really lesson, on translations. It has to do with translation philosophy and this is uh, practical for us today there are two basic philosophies when it comes to translation and then there's a a third dynamic I'll discuss which isn't actually translation but sometimes people think that it is so the first kind of translation is a formal approach philosophy now a formal approach is a literal word-for-word It tries to stay as close as possible to the structure and words of the source language. Some examples of formal approach would be New American Standard, English Standard Version, King James Version, Modern English Version. Now the con of this is that it tends to be less sensitive to the receptor language. So the receptor language is simply the language into which it's translated. So it's less sensitive to the receptor language of the contemporary reader and may appear awkward. But in your formal approach, you get as close as possible to the structure and words of the source language or original language, really language is. Now that's the formal approach. The functional approach is known as idiomatic or one could say thought for thought. So The functional approach tries to express the meaning of the original text in today's language at the sentence level. So the uh, the NIV, that is the New International Version, or the NJB, New Jerusalem Bible, would be examples of the functional approach, where it's more about expressing the or they're more about expressing the idea in the original language into the receptor language or the modern language so the idea is expressed but it's not word for word neither neither translation philosophy is right or wrong and neither one's better than the other there's just two different ways to do it and one has to make these decisions as a translator when dealing with um two different languages including ancient languages and modern languages bible languages or biblical languages are ancient languages but their languages nonetheless. Translation has the same effect today on today's reader as on the ancient reader. That's the purpose here of the functional approach. They're trying to get as close to having the same effect on the modern reader as the original language had on the ancient reader. One of the cons here, the con, is it's not always as sensitive as it should be to the wording and structure of the source language. So if you think through it, you can see where it might be difficult to to actually have both, both the formal and the functional. It's typically got to be one or the other. There's a third dynamic, which I'll mention, um, that is, uh, it's a paraphrase. So it's not technically a translation. It's not a translation from the original language at all, really, but merely a restatement or explanation of a particular English translation using different English words so the source text for the paraphrase is uh, is an English translation paraphrases out there um, are the Message Bible the NLT or New Living Translation the Amplified Bible or the Living Bible I would say choose a translation that uses modern English. Unless you happen to be schooled in Elizabethan English, then okay, King James is all for you as far as that goes. But most of us should choose one that uses modern English. The whole point of making a translation is to move the message of the original text to a language that you can understand. Otherwise, you need to learn Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. Choosing a translation based on the standard Hebrew and Greek texts. So you don't want to uh, you don't want to use a translation that uses, uh, in my opinion, this translated from say Latin because Latin is not an original biblical language. You don't want to use a uh, translation of a translation. Um, so you don't want something that's translated from Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic into Latin and then translated into English, for example. You should prefer or give preference to a translation by committee over against or as compared to one by an individual. There are some translations out there that are just translated by one person. That's not usually the best practice. Most Translations out there are translated by a committee and to uh, prevent or hopefully uh, ensure against denominational bias. Um, A lot of times these committee members, these translation committee members are from different denominations. And choose a translation that is appropriate for your own particular purpose at the time. Remember, I'll repeat something that I said before There is no such thing as a perfect translation. Translations, almost by very definition, are imperfect. I have another recommendation for deep study. Now, if you're just going to do everyday study or everyday uh, reading for spiritual enrichment, one translation is enough. Just pick one. Pick one that you like. Pick one that sort of speaks to you, makes sense to you. One is enough. But if you're going to do deep study, I recommend looking for um, two or three dissimilar translations. Uh, Dissimilar meaning that, that they're not alike. You don't want to get one translation and get another one that's almost the same. In fact, what I'd recommend is if you're going to do deep study that you would uh, take a formal translation Bible, uh, a functional translation Bible, and then maybe have a, a paraphrase or a paraphrastic translation. What I do in my study, if I'm going to do deep study, is I will do, uh, I'll get a couple of English translations, I'll also look at Spanish, I'll look at uh, German. And then I will um, additionally look at the interlinear, which has the original Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic running next to English. Now, that's uh, probably a bit overboard for some of you, but that's what I do for my deep study. But if you have a couple of English translations, maybe one formal, one functional, and one that's amplified, that should be enough. And looking at the Bible passages in more than one version can help you think about them more deeply and learn from them. I hope that this podcast episode uh, will help you be better able to study the Bible on your own. Thank you for tuning in and listening. God bless.